Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lechtenstein. This week we'll be speaking about two topics. Tich Lashana V'Kil We're speaking about the Chinese restaurant in Manalapan, the Kosher Chinese Express. In fact, they found out it was the Unkosher Chinese Express. It was under the Hashgacha of the OK. And according to Reb Yudel Shane, who was the Mashkiach there the first number of years until the OK took it over full time, he said that basically since 04, for 18 years, they've been feeding tarfas to the whole central Jersey. Here's Reb Yudel Shane. Lean times, we can't afford to drop any restaurants at this time. Do the best you could. He said for every year, you'll hear in his interview, he said he, he screamed about it, how the food there is trafe, the OK did nothing. We asked the OK to come on to respond. They said they wouldn't come on. Maybe after they hear this week what he had to say, they will. But I have a Shiloh. We have a lot of both people who, you know, eat in restaurants as well as Rabbanim. If a Hashgacha for 18 years does nothing while somebody's screaming that it's Treif, and then they find out that he was right because the owner had the key, and it makes sense that it would be Treif. I mean, let's face it, you have a Geisha owner, kosher chicken is two times, 200% the price of Treif chicken. I googled that today. And if the Mashgiach, the, the, the Rav HaMachshir, the head of the Hashgacha says, look, it's lean times, we have to listen to the owner. Would you eat in a okay restaurant? I mean, does Paiskim talk about a Hashgacha that was Makalkal? Do they lose their Cheskes Kashras? I personally would not eat at an okay restaurant unless there was some type of an ample response. I'm talking about Fleishigs. Mulchig's a different Shiloh. 18 years and somebody's screaming, it's Treif, it's Treif. Okay, that's the first topic we're going to speak about. And the second one is, you know, Yehimadin is coming, the issues of our yeshivas. The New York State Regents Board uh, made a decision regarding education in yeshivas. The New York Times had a very biased, anti-Semitic, but pointed article about it. We're going to be discussing the uh, gravamen of the New York Times article, which was basically the Hasidish yeshivas, or many of them, are not teaching their boys reading, writing, arithmetic. Two of the poorest of the of the almost 9,000 cities in the United States. The number one poorest is New Square. The third one is uh, Monroe. They're saying they're just not teaching the kids. They, the, the children are becoming wards of the state. Hashlich el hastate yehavcha. That's what's happening here. And as well, in the New York Times did not say this, but it's, isn't that a problem with the din of Chayev Adam Alamid bin Ayomnes? So we're going to have Simcha Eichenstein, the New York Assemblyman, who wrote a fiery uh, response in the New York Sun, and Avi Shik, a renowned lawyer and advocate for the yeshivas. I would like to point out, just as a historical note, that this is not a new Machloikis, it goes back really hundreds of years when Napoleon invaded Russia. So the Tsars, Yamachimum, they would aggress the anti Semit and that was Shaykh. So uh, the Polish Gedolim said we should be Mispal for Napoleon's success. And the Balatanya said, no, we should be Mispal for Russia's success. Why? He said, because Napoleon, together with Napoleon, collateral with Napoleon, will come prosperity and enlightenment. And it's better to live Banias and to be Emesir Hasidim and to be prosperous and educated and maybe lose the Pintalayid. That was an argument that goes back then. It's not unlike like that now. I mean, I guess the Rebbes are saying, let the boys come out and let them not be educated, but keep them away from the internet and the trafe of elt. So it's, the argument doesn't sound that dissimilar. Or to the Machlekes, Rameis Simcha, and the Chafetz Chaim. Rameis Simcha held that all the Rabbonim Itam, you shouldn't have Rabbonim Itam anymore, but all Rabbonim should learn how to speak Russian or Polish, whatever language of their particular jurisdiction. And the Chafetz Chaim said, no, they shouldn't. And it was a famous Asifa uh, about it. And everybody, you know, Rabbi Simcha had tremendous stature among the G'dayla Melita, and he sent, Rabbi Chaim was there, and he was afraid he was going to lose it. So he said he sent 
to the Chafetz Chaim, and the Chafetz Chaim came, and the Eilum and the end voted like the Chafetz Chaim, that they shouldn't know, uh, they shouldn't learn Polish, and they shouldn't learn Russian. And like I heard from Rafutna, he said, Ladavineinu, he's talking post-Holocaust, he said the... Uh, lost. I guess he held that, you know, having Rabbanim who don't know what our enemies are thinking maybe isn't the best thing. But this argument seemingly goes back, you know, Baharare Kaidish. So it should be really make for a very fascinating discussion with uh, Rip Simcha Eichenstein and Avi Shik, two people you could send them, the Oiskim Mitzacher Tzibra Mamuna. should make for a wonderful discussion. I do want to ask the Ilam. I think there's a decent likelihood that um, we will have somebody from the COK. If you have questions you would like me to ask them, please do so. And I also want to say that next week's program, also we're going to speak about two topics. We're going to be speaking about what happened in Yeshiva Magen David, where uh, a teacher claimed to be female, got a job there, and they found that afterwards that she had undergone uh, surgical procedures and she really wasn't female. And the question was, were they? can they fire her? Can't they fire her? This could happen in any yeshiva, and you want to know how to deal with it. So if you're an educator and you don't want to get sued, and you could get sued for damages and a hair, you know how once the courts get a hold of you, right? So we have on Rabbi Michael Braid. He's not only a, a, a genuine Talmud Chacham, but he's also a professor of law in Emory, and his expertise is religion and law, and he will walk us through what the risks are and how a yeshiva could write a contract so that it protects itself. And then additionally, he's going to be speaking about the Supreme Court ruling in YU, where they basically lifted the stay and how that affects, you know, all other yeshivas in America. And he's going to disagree with YU's attorneys and also give very pertinent advice in this as well. It makes for a fascinating program. Before we go to them, I, I want to say, Avart, you know, this week is Atem Nitzavim Hayayim. It's the end of the year. And we're coming to Rosh Hashanah. And I want to talk about there's an Akud in Rosh Hashanah that isn't much discussed. And what is it? Rosh Hashanah is called Ben Kesel Asar. Rosh Hashanah is called Kesel. The, the overcast, the covered up. And why is that? Because it's the only Yamtif that doesn't fall out in the middle of the month. So the moon is obscured. The moon is invisible. So it's Bakesa. And as many halachas, Lamashal, uh, you don't make Shabbos Mavarchim because Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be a mystery. We don't discuss its coming. We don't say on Rosh Hashanah the Paiskim say Rosh Chaydish has I even though it's Rosh Chaydish because it's Bakesa. But the Mikubalim say, and I heard this from Rav Hutna. They say something very powerful. He said that all the Yom Tovim are in the Sheish Yisimei Amaisa of the of the week of the world. He says the only Yom Tif that goes back to Bria, the week of creation, is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation. It's before you know Adam basically came out and started to do his Ashabarale Kim Lasai starts on the eighth day. The only yumptif that goes back to the primordial soup when the world was in the middle of being created is Rosh Hashanah. It goes back almost like to the Ilamatayu when the world was in that state. So it's Bakesa. It goes back. It's in other words, the Chazal say, Kim. So Chazal say, until the end of Maisa Bracious, it's Kim Haster Darva. We don't talk about Maisa. Shivas Yemei Bria. But Mikan Ve'elach, Kvoid Melachim Chakar Darva, we talk about. Ein Darshim, Maisa Merkava, Maisa Bracious, etc. goes on the first uh, seven days. So it's Bakesa. It's covered. Why is that important to us? We live in a life in this world that seems full of objects. Everything is full, it's full. But really, man is terrified that it's, it's really, you know, we're, we're, we're standing on the brink of a void, of an abyss. What do I mean to say? 
Look at the world itself. What do physicists say that? The universe is 99.99999% vacant. You travel a million miles, you reach a grain, a, a planet, another million, another planet. another. So it's mostly a huge void. And physicists say the Adam himself is a void, is 99.0. What do they say? Because we're made out of atoms. The nucleus of the atom, compared to the, it's the rest of it, the space of it, is tiny. If the nucleus is the size of a, a pea, the outside of the atom would be five miles away. So then, then how do we have matter? It's only because the energy it produces. But we are really made up of nothing, of luft. Whereas even though the Rabbi Shalom came from the Ein Saif and he created a world, it's really a world of voids. And we're aware of it. You know, when a person is working and working and working, why are you working so hard? Because you know you're coming from nowhere, right? You come from a tipas rucha. You're going back to the chaloim yof, ketzeloyver, we disappear. So we think if we really produce a lot, a lot, a lot, it must mean that we're here. Oh, we're afraid we're going to disappear soon. Let's build the building. Let's have a house. Let's put our name on the deed. We're terrified of going back into that oil Loneliness. We're terrified of loneliness. Why? Because it's, again, the huge emptiness. So what do we do? We have social media and texting and WhatsApp groups and friends because separate us for a minute and in the back of our minds, we, our, we don't know it, but our we really stand on the brink of a great emptiness of an oil Right of an ain, of the ain Saif, where we originally come from, we're afraid of that emptiness, so we fill our lives with shopping. We buy furniture and curtains, and we fill our house when we don't need endless shopping clothes. We're never gonna wear because our neshama inside, we're aware that there's this great emptiness. And the minute we were born, we really start to die. Right, we reach our peak in maybe our teens or twenties or thirties, and then what happens gradually? You know, our hormones start fading. We start putting on weight. Your muscles start weakening. Since suddenly your eyes, maybe eyesight isn't so good. Maybe hearing isn't so good. You get a little bit older. I don't know. Different systems start getting shaky. Your skin gets thin. You start atrophying. We're really always going back to that empty space, that great emptiness, and we're terrified of it. Now, kedusha is comfortable with emptiness. You go to the Kaidish HaKadashim and Bayashani, you opened it, there was nothing there. There was just Evajasiya on the floor. And in Bayas Rishon, there was the Arun. But the Gemara says, the Arun didn't fit into the Kaidish HaKadashim, it was impossible. The Badim were too long. So the Gemara says, no, Arun is Enim and Amida. It was there, but it really wasn't there. It was sort of like magical, it didn't take up any space. And you know what? It looked very heavy. If you carried it, it didn't weigh anything. In fact, it even carried you. So we opened it up, and there was a great emptiness there. Because Klal Yisrael, our Neshama, is also a void. Your neshama is also a great emptiness. You can't feel it. You can't see it. You can't touch it. You know it's there. So the part of us, the chelik alikami maul that's in every one of us, is really comfortable. The nitzitz that's in each of us is very comfortable in that void. In fact, in this world, what is the avoid of the neshama? To find the chelik alikam, everything. Loyal alechem, like the Baal Shem says, to find that nitzitz. But man as a whole is terrified of that great void. But our neshama, our neshama comes from that great void. Our neshama is very comfortable over there. Did you ever walk by the edge of an ocean? And there's something wondrous about walking next to the ocean. And you don't know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. What does it say? The Oilam Atoyu, right, that beginning in the primordial, it still lives on the water. And there's a calling. So one day a year, you know the sailor, a whole year he goes out to sea, comes back one day a year to see his family. But that one day, boy, is that the day of the year. 
Well, did you ever see the troop? You know, the troops, they're about to get out of the trench. They're, they grab their bayonet. They say, charge. And before they charge, what does each one do? He pulls out the picture, that special picture. That's the reason why he's charging. On Rosh Hashanah, when it's the one day that's inside of my Sebracious, the primordial soup before it becomes Ashabarole Kim Lasais, it's the only Yom Tif that goes in that day. When that Yom Tif comes, when we hear the sound of the Shaifer, the Shaifer is like a bridge, Reb Nachman says. The Shaifer is a bridge between this world and the world from where our Neshama, from where the soul came from, this Eilam, the, the Eilam of Ein Saif. On Rosh Hashanah, we could make that connection. We could cross over, when we hear the Shaifer, and we could say, our Neshama, for one day, is back home. It's back reconnected to that world where it came from. So this is an Avoid of Rosh Hashanah. It's the only Yom Tif that is this way. Maybe we could be Zaycha this year. By the Tzkiyas, we could have, we could create that connection. I'd like to wish all our listeners a Ksiva v'chasim, a If I offended any of you, I ask you for forgiveness. And if you disagreed with me, what do I say? If two people are thinking the same thing, one of them isn't thinking. So that makes me happy. When you disagree with me, I'm smiling. Let's go to our riddles of the week. The Gemara in Sanhedrin Dafmem Gimel Amid Beis learns the Din Arvas that Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazer Rashi brings it. The Tzlach in Brachis and Dafmem Ches Amid Beis brings that by a mitzvah Rabbanon there's no Din Arvas. Because when we makabel by the, the Allah, by Har Evel, they only were makabel on what was. They weren't makabel on the Lahaba. And like the Gemara says in Saita and Aflamid Zion, that only on the Tariag Mitzvah is there a Dinarvis, because the Drabanans is a Dover She'elohem Kitzvah. A Dover She'elohem Kitzvah, you can't be mechaev yourself. A person can't sign a Shtar, Harani mechaev me to whatever you want. It's not chal, such a, such a star is not binding. Sign that in halacha and sign that in secular law. It has to have an ex- a number in it that you could define, right? An undefined thing, there's no smichas das, it's not kabbalah. There's no arvis on drabanans, because we didn't know what drabanan would be geyser. We didn't know what the future would bring. Question is, by halal Megillah, the Shulchan Aruch says, Afal pisha yotza maitzi, tafresh sadik beis and gimel, taf chaf beis and beis and the bir alocha. Halal and Megillah are both mitzvahs drabanan. Since the din of yotza maitzi of arvis is only on a deraisa, davashiesh le kitzvah, by drabanan there's not. How could you say yotza maitzi by halal and Megillah? It's a mitzvah drabanan. It's It's a question both on the tzlach and on the gemara and saita. That's, that's how you learn the gemara. That is riddle number one. Riddle number two. Bircha Shechiyanu B'yemt of Shani Drash Hashanah. The Shulchan Aruch and Tav Reish Sifbei says that by Kiddush del Shani of Rosh Hashanah, it's a suffix if you should say Shechiyanu, uh, because you don't know if it's uh, if it's Yayma Richta or Sveikid Yayma. Even so, Yimavarach Shechiyanu, even if there's no Prichadash. And the Shulchan Aruch Paskins by Shefer, that you don't make a Bircha Shechiyanu on the Shefer B'yem Shani Shosh Hashanah, the Yuma Richta Hei. It's Lechayr, it's a stira. In Tav Reish, it says it's a Sveikid Yayim and you make a Shechiyanu. By Shefer in Tav Reish of Gimel, it says you don't make a Bracha on Yayim Shani because Yayim Richta Which way is it? Is it a Sveikid Yayim or is it Yayim Richta? That's our second riddle. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, that's the country code, 
011-702-50. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02-372-0304. So let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us from Lakewood, New Jersey, is Rabbi Yudel Shane. He's a Dayan, he's a Mites, he's the head of the Kosher Consumers Union, and for 45 years he's Isaac in Kashrus. He's known to be a world expert in Kashrus. Welcome, Rabbi Yudel. Shalom Aleichem. Rabbi Yudel, so recently in the news was the Manalapin Kosher Express, or rather the Unkosher Express, the Chinese... Chinese Express that they found out that the owner was selling tray for meat and I'd like you to discuss the situation like all of people who eat in restaurants and they now have to be worried oh my goodness is every restaurant tray is the okay particularly negligent uh, it was it a you know particular mashkiach was it a brilliant conniving guy who's one in a thousand the guy who could figure out how to get in tray and like what should we as kosher consumers take from this situation Okay, so let me go back in the history. We'll take it down to the end, and then we'll see if there's what a consumer could do, what a the Kassis could do, what a Bonham could do, etc. This happened. I was called down to give Ashgoha on this Chinese restaurant in approximately 2004. And uh, I usually set up a restaurant, especially by Chinese, any restaurant, the way I want to have it done, such as the, it's a known thing, at least what I know is that when people want to gamble something into the restaurant, I don't care if it's a guy, not a guy, they'll dump it by the garbage bin, and then when they bring back in a garbage can into the store, it's in the bottom of the thing, then that's the way you get it in. That's why I always design the store that the Mashgir's table and light we checks vegetables, his workstation is right by the back door. And the workers know when you bring in a garbage pail or you bring anything in from that door, you stop by the Mashgir for him to give you the all right that you could pass through that nothing is in there. That's the way I have it set up. So the, that's the way I have this one over set up. I do not allow the owner of a non-kosher restaurant to have the keys. Only the Mashgir has the key. I also, I used to be a locksmith, so I, did, I have something that I do to the key that even if the mashgiach left his keys on the table and the owner goes out and makes a copy of it, the copy will not work. The mashgiach key will work, but not a copy will not work. The only way a copy could be made is from the original key that I have. Otherwise, no copies will work, but the key that I make will work. And that's the way I had it set up over there, the same thing. So I know, because a mashgiach, sometimes his pockets are loaded. He wants to put it down on the table. He goes out, he's doing something, and he doesn't realize, and it just takes a few minutes for a guy to go make a copy of it. If I was there for whatever it is, a week or two, I realized that the people in Manalpin is not people of Lakewood. They really don't know who Yudel Shane is. So I thought it's a good idea to bring in somebody else. Oh, you okay? Chafke, whatever else it is. For some reason or other, I decided let's try the, the okay. And I brought them in. Everything was fine and boiled. And um, basically, like one of the things I didn't allow them to do, they can't do any uh, fish in the store. You know, it's interesting. I was doing once I got in a hotel on Yom Tov. It's relevant to this, and that's why I'm bringing it in. And there was a Chinese garmage lady that worked with me that Yom Tov there. And she comes over to me near 
end of Yontif in front of the chef, and she says, you know, Rabbi, I'd like you to give me my kosher supervision on my Chinese restaurant in Long Island. I like the way you work. So I say, but you know, you're not going to be able to have any fish to fry. She says, why is that? I say, I know what you do with your oil that you use for frying, you dump it into your stock pot, which is always with meat and chicken bones. Oh, Rabbi, you know that twick. So the chef says, lady, if you're going to have twicks, this is not the rabbi you want. You better get some other rabbi. But this one, it's not going to work, these tricks. So I know this is what they do. Mashgir goes into the refrigerator for a minute, and he comes out, and the wheel went in there. So you have fish and meat. you got a problem. So I don't allow those things. I have certain things that I do. How they're doing it in other places, I do not know. But... I, after I had the, the um, okay in there, I ran everything. I hired the mashgichim. I was down there at least once a week. I paid the mashgichim direct. Every Thursday I came to the owner. I collected the money for the mashgichim. I paid them. They had nothing that they had to worry about the owner. He doesn't pay them. He's not their boss. Nothing like it. I controlled everything. Another thing which I did also, because he didn't have a key, Everything was dropped on by the outside, vegetables or anything else, and a mashgiach had to lift up every case of vegetables, one side of it, look what's in there, if it's celery or whatever else it is, and see if the weight is approximately for what you have in there. Because I know if they want to gumble something in there, the easiest way is you put it into the bottom of the box of the vegetables. You could bring in chicken, meat, you could bring in anything you want. So the mashgiach has to pick it up, once on the outside, and then he allows them every box. And when I used to come there during the week to check up on it, I used to go into the refrigerator, go through the box, first of all, the vegetables to see if there's anything in one of those boxes to double-check the mashgiach. I also would check through the meat and chicken that he has. I pretty much could tell on chicken if it's a kosher chicken. It's not a kosher chicken, which is pretty easy to tell. And on meat, I could also tell if it was salted or it wasn't salted and what the story is. So just, to, I, I have you know, you know that there's a, a kosher and a non-kosher chicken? Oh, if, if it has... Uh, non-kosher chicken is plucked with hot water. All the feathers come off and all the hairs come off. When you're plucking with cold water, it's impossible to do. So you'll have a dirty chicken. At least right. to a certain degree you'll have it. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I learned something now. Okay. So uh, in meat, you could tell the difference in the color of the meat a little bit. And you make a little cut, you could see if the top of the color is a little bit grayish versus the bottom of it, which is reddish, because wherever the salt penetrated. And in goyish meat, you're going to have pretty solid blood. It, it's, not, it's not that hard. To, you know, you work in this long enough, you could tell these type of things. So I made sure to check on those things. Cause, you know, I have, I have to be able to sleep comfortable, even though I'm relying on my mashgicham. But Lemaisa, the onus is on me to make sure that nobody's eating something that I wouldn't want to eat and everything is something wrong or whatever else it is. And everything went fine without any problems. The guy was very, very uncomfortable, the Chinaman, that he doesn't have a key to the place and the vegetables are outside. But they used to open up 11 o'clock. So the Mashgir came a quarter to 11 to open up because he had to light up all the fires because every day we did was besides locking up the store every refrigerator was locked on both sides the even on the hinge side we locked the walk-in refrigerators and freezer the gas line was shut off completely and sealed so there is no way of anybody being able to do anything so the mashgir had 15 minutes work before that and then he had his vegetables checked checked all the products there had to be a hand-on person my mashgirham then about two and a half years later, Daniel Levy, Oliver Sholem, calls me up. He says, the guy is putting a lot of pressure on him. He wants a key to the place. And I say, by me, it doesn't go. I have to feel comfortable this and that. He says, well, by the okay, we don't have those kind of things, and we are going to allow him to have a key. I said, Daniel, if that's the story, I'm telling you, I'm leaving. 
and I went over to the Balabas Ken, and I told him, if you do go and change the locks, and because of that, you're going to have a key, I am leaving. I don't care what happens to your business. It doesn't make a difference, but that's not the way. They went to change the lock. I left. My Mashgicham still stayed there. I, and by the way, Rabbi Shane, there was a big uh, kiddish in the Chinese church in Manalapan like a number of years ago. Nobody knew why, and now I know why. It's because... <laughs> He threw a kiddish because you left, and they left oh, him yeah. with the I okay mean, without he, you. He was happy, but he, he, <laughs> but he was happy. me afterwards that he is losing a lot of business because a number of people stopped buying. Because I, I spread it out all over, and I put it onto my blog that there's a problem over there, and they shouldn't rely on the conference in the place. I don't care if the okay is there. And the okay, didn't, and the okay didn't care? No, they, they insisted. You know, the chutzpah was, I was the one that brought them in, and he insisted on you leaving enough. The guy wants a key. We have no problem with that. We locked it. And what year is this? What year is this? This must have been, if we started in 2004, it must have been about 2006, 2007, something like that. So it's possible from 2007 until 2022. Right? I wouldn't say possible, I would say probable. Probable. So you're talking yeah. about 15 years people are eating tarfus. Yeah, and by single we caught it for only eight years after I caught it. Here was 15 okay. years. So tell, okay, so continue your story. Okay, my Mashgicham stayed. To see if things could be worked out. They kept on calling the okay. Who they spoke to over there, I don't know. But they called. They're having problems. The, the workers over there are taking unchecked vegetables. They're doing that. They're having a lot of problems. And, you know, I always back my mashgichim. The other organizations, I don't know how much they back them or not. So at one point, the one of the mashgichim calls me up and he says, I called up Rabbi Levy because I saw I'm not getting any place with anybody else in the office. And I told him, you know, with all these kind of things that's happening over here, I think it's time to pull the hashgacha. So he says, Rabbi Levy responded, listen to me, it's lean times. We can't afford to drop any restaurants at this time. Do the best you could. Lean times, do the best you could. Okay, so continue okay, so the story. To, okay, so now the mashgiach um, uh, went and basically he sees he's having problems. So he called, okay, that I'm having a lot of problems mainly with the fresh broccoli and the Chinese cabbage. And the guy doesn't want to buy his broccoli from uh, Positive. And I'm keeping on checking broccoli and Chinese guy having problems. So the okay finally sent out Rabbi Osher Eckstein to the Manalpa restaurant to show the mashgiach how you're supposed to clean these things. And he shows him. So he says, one minute. He cleans it the way he tells him. He says, here. It's still infested. Cleans it a second time, still infested. Rabbi Eckstein says, let me show you another way of doing it. Shows him another way, and it took a little bit longer. The mosquito turns around, he sees Rabbi Eckstein is running to his car and takes off goodbye, Charlie. Gone. And it was not clean. So the Mashgichim decide, you know, this we've had enough. They notified the, okay, we're leaving this restaurant. We're not working anymore. They left. They got all the jobs, whatever else it is. And the, okay, put in their people over there, etc. As is known all over. Or, so you're, the original Mashgichim left because they felt the kosher standards were not up to par. Correct. And the and okay they didn't care. The it was impossible to work over there. And because the, and the okay was, was it? not backing them. They had problems with, uh, with the decontalorum. They had problems with all the things. And they knew by me. They called me. It takes me 20 minutes. I'm there. I straighten out the thing. And basically, we put everything in order the way it should be. With okay, there was nothing happening like that. So now it's common that people make uh, Hanukkah parties. They buy Chinese food. So every year for the 15 years on my blog, the whole week of Hanukkah, I put up that in the Chinese restaurant in Manalpa, nobody should buy any of the Hanukkah parties over there because it's not a reliably kosher restaurant. And you did this for you did this for 15 years. 15 years. And, and the, oh, and the okay just and the okay just ignored it. 
Well, maybe they don't read my blog. I don't know. I only have about 1,500, 2,000 people a day, but they, they don't read it, evidently. Okay. Then, as time went, basically, this the, the owner of the place was called Ken. He sold the restaurant to his cousin, Henry. This Henry also opened a kosher Chinese restaurant in Cherry Hill, and he has another one in um, someplace in North Jersey. I forgot where he has it. Who oh, the there. same the same the owner same of this owner this restaurant? Yes, has has and a restaurant has in Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill was under the okay, and the one that he has in North Jersey is also under the okay. The one in Cherry Hill, a lot of the local people in the Barnum felt very uncomfortable with it. They were telling the people, "We're not going to make a big fool about it, but don't bother." Till things were getting so much, they were called. They, I don't know if they called the okay. They didn't call whatever else it is, but evidently OK realized that it's not going too good over there, and they pulled off Tashgach, I think, about a year ago. So they so, realized this. So it makes sense that the same guy who's Michael Tarfus here for 17 years, he's doing it as well. This Ken bought, uh, opened up two places in Brooklyn. I'm not sure where. One on Coney Island, they have me. The other one, I'm not sure where it is. And he has both of his places are under OK. I did check with the Jeez. OU and the Huff K. Would they give Ashgacha to a restaurant owned by Goyim? And the answer from both of them was they will not. But the OU told me that there's one restaurant that's under them for years that belongs to I know. So, so I spoke that's to Rabbi Ginnak. I spoke to Rabbi Ginnak. He said they will not, the Shita, ready for decades, give a Heksha to a restaurant that's owned by a guy. He said in general, they give very few as they can restaurant Hashgachas because he said it's really hard. You have to really be on top of it, Rabbi Ginnak said. So we only do it if the community needs it. But he says we do not like it and we do we do not, as a matter of policy, give Bechlal on restaurants and certainly not if there's a guy. And he pointed out also, he said that they... The, if they do, if they give a hersha, and it's a big if, even if it's a Eid, they require minimum pay of the mashgichim of $28 an hour so that you're getting a high-quality mashgich. You're not getting somebody who's sleeping. And another of all the chumras that they have that uh, clearly were not in place over here. Um, now, there was also, I don't know if you read, about two years ago, three years ago, there was a Chinese restaurant in Passaic, Jin Chinese restaurant. They caught them also with rapists. So they um, closed up that restaurant, and they, the, the Rabbanim of Pasei Clifton fired the Kashrut administrator. They felt that he was not on top of it if this thing could be happening. I notified um, the okay that, first of all, they should relieve their RC, whoever takes care of restaurants, because we had this ASIC in Cherry Hill. We have this ASIC over here, and uh, evidently the guy's not qualified. Plus, I notified the one that takes care of restaurants in the OK, uh, Robert Teichman, that what he should do is immediately, I notified him on Thursday morning, two weeks ago, that he should go down with the guy to Restaurant Depot, get a printout, on his account, because everyone but buys in restaurant depot has to have an account there. You can't just walk in a person and buy there. I also have an account there. And you go through, you want to have a printout of what he's bought over all the years, which they did not do that. I contacted the state of New Jersey, Coach and Force. The purpose, why, why do you want to do that? To, to know what he bought? I don't know if the restaurant depot is the Kalim, right? Everything. You want to know how far back this is going. You know, is it just that you messed up now as they're saying, the OK is saying that it only happened from March because there was shortage of chicken. But how would the restaurant depot know that? Because he bought always in Restaurant Depot. That's what he bought, what? bought what did chicken he... and meat. Oh, oh, they sell chicken and meat, I understand. Yeah, sure. So can I ask you, understand. could any year Shemayim eat in an okay restaurant, knowing what you just told us? I'm telling you it's not only okay. It depends 
how you run, how tight of a ship you run. But if, if it's, I'm saying, but in general, if, if it's not owned by a, a from a person, could any Ben yeah, Tyra eat in an okay restaurant? One second, Finkel was a from a person, Dohini was a from a person, um, uh, Netach uh, Butcherstow was a from a person, and they were all selling trafers. You know, I think, I think, Rabbi Shane, I would be mechalic between a from a person. They obviously were not from a people, right? That's clearly. I mean, she, you okay, know, okay, but they, they, they were not they from a people. They appear to be from. Yes, yeah. So, so a not a from a person would never serve tarfus, right? A guy or somebody who's an apostate, one of these people could, could care less, and if they, they can air you up, it's meaningless to them, right? So, yeah. I think there's there's a very big difference there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but why do we have that these former people we co- were caught with selling trafers for years? They weren't from. They were, they were dressed up from. Yeah, but uh, well, how could a person, a regular person, he takes a look, the guy says, that year, he's a chazan, he's a baltakeya, he's everything else like him, and this one is from, and that one is from, and you're going to say, well, this one we decided is not from. How do you know he's not from? Because he was selling trafers. So again, it, yeah, so like this, by a guy, you definitely shouldn't buy, you know, unless you really have a crackerjack, mashgich and ashgach, etc., etc. By a different person, and you have to know what the story is if they really have. But I think at every restaurant or food service place, you really need Cracker Jack, Mashgichim. They understand a restaurant. They understand cooking. They have to understand everything. And they have to have the Kabdeu of Chashdeu has to be that the Chashdeu is twice as big as the Kabdeu. Otherwise, you can't be. And it should never, ever be that a Mashgich gets paid by the store or by that. It has to be they get paid directly from the Rav Machshe, not from anybody else. And the Rav Machshe has to have people that go into a store. The guy from the OK, he's been going in there. Did you ever check the chicken? Did you check the meat? Did you check all... What do you do over there? You just walk in over there in order to be able to justify your fee that you're collecting? Rabbi Shane, thank you very much for your time. It's always enlightening speaking to you. Thank you, and call to Call to bye-bye. Joining us from Borough Park is Reb Simcha Eichenstein. He's an assemblyman of represents Borough Park, Midwood, shortly Kensington after the redistricting. He's uh, he grew up in Borough Park. He's a Talmud of Babov. He worked for many years assistant to the state controller. Afterwards, he. Uh, he, he he took over Dove hiking spot in the assembly. He also worked for the mayor of New York up in Albany for many years. So really a true um, you know advocate for our community, um, a servant of the community. And uh, you know the, the old tzaddikim used to sign Eved Laavde Hashem. And the representative, uh, a faithful representative, welcome Reb Simcha. Great to be here, David. It's the first time I'm on your on your podcast, so uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to this. So we can make a shachiano, but since it's a shaila, <laughs> if, you, if you if you do it with a piece of bread, it's okay. <laughs> There's a lot of shachianos coming up in the next month. Uh, but, uh, so but talk yeah. to us. The New York Times wrote an article, and to sum up the article, they made three points. Their one point was the extreme poverty that's coming out of the Hasidic community, which they bl- blame on a lack of education. Mm-hmm. Then they spoke about corporal punishment in the uh, in the um, in in the in the Hasidic schools, and they spoke about the, the lack of qualified teachers and the uh, scarcity of time that they devote to secular studies. And you wrote a a quite a scathing response to the New York Times. Could you tell us how did you respond to their arguments? Yes. Uh, Well, first of all, I I actually uh, wrote a pre-buttal. So uh, uh, prior, I I wrote an article uh, op-ed in the New York Sun prior to the Times coming out with their article. The New York Times has been at this for, uh, for two years now. I would just point out that uh, before we get to this particular issue, the New York Times 
unfortunately have an ugly history when it comes to uh, uh, to the Jewish community, particularly the Orthodox Jewish community. So, so there's nothing new here. Um, they, for two years ago, they give us, give us a few. Rebzal, give us a few bullet points when you say an ugly history. Well, we know we know how how uh, the Times has always been portraying uh, the Jews. There's actually a, a, a um, was that caricature that they they apologized for fairly recently, just a couple of years ago, with the the, the Donald Trump uh, um, photo that they had with Israel. But I, I I think it's you know let's I want to come back to yeshivas because we could do a whole we could do an entire show on on, on the New York Times and, and their past. But and, and let me let me let me, let me, let me let me tell you the one that that burns in my memory mm-hmm. when they killed six million Jews during the Holocaust. The best we got was an article on page thirty six. Yeah, it's uh, again. I, I could sit here. I I don't want to go off topic on such a uh, such an important subject because it's going to wind up eating eating up ten minutes of of, of this podcast. And 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 uh, but but we know. And this is not you know. Um, unfortunately, I mean that conversation should be had. But uh, but there is. Uh, it's it's unfortunate. Um, the way they wrote about Messi. There were so many other issues even more recently. But anyway, so they took two reporters uh, and they basically assigned them to go out on a fishing expedition of of, uh, of yeshivas. Go dig dirt, see what you could do. And they worked at this for two years, one of which was one of their investigative reporters. For starters, the New York Times themselves uh, admits that uh, they spoke to, they say they spoke to 250 people, 275 or 250 people, uh, but they admit that uh, very few uh, are still members of the community, folks within the community. So they basically spoke to either outsiders or individuals that for some odd reason, unfortunately, the system did not uh, serve them well, did not work for them, and they left the community. Uh, so it just goes to show how there was no real intent in trying to find middle ground, right? If I want to be balanced about it, if I want to understand an issue, advocates are coming to talk to me about a piece of legislation, right? I try to guess, get both sides. I always ask my staff, who are the proponents and who are and who are the opponents, right? You try to get that mixed, but that wasn't that wasn't the goal here. So there's so many layers to this onion, if I may use that term. But 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 for starters, we have to understand what does education mean, right? Let's take a little bit of a deeper dive. This is not a podcast where you just get in your one minute, uh, your thirty second soundbite, and we could take a little bit of a deeper dive here. Education means you're giving the child, you know, the systematic instruction, the critical thinking, the tools. The, the the analytical skills, right? And I had I had someone attack me uh, recently. She she said something along the lines of, um, you know, I went to yeshiva and it didn't prepare me to be a doctor. That someone else who at some point told me that he wanted to be a pilot. And no elementary school prepares you to be a pilot. Medical school is is tough stuff, right? Like not it's not meant for everyone, but. Elementary school gives you the tools that when you graduate, you have these skills that you could then use it for whatever it is that you want to do in your adult life, right? One person may want to be a Rebbe and want to sit and learn. One person wants to open a business. By the way, you can have two people 
that went to the same school in the same classroom, the same teacher. They both opened the same business. One fails, the other doesn't. Yeah, but, but, Rav Simcha, but Rav Simcha, I agree with yes. you, but let's, let's look at the, the core of their argument is, I personally think what they wrote about corporal punishment, I mean, oh, we'll get, I didn't even get go, to go, go to the public schools, you know, where the teachers are afraid to come in, the incidents of rape and, 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 and murder and, 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 and bullying. I, mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but I have to jump in on this because I actually wrote an op-ed in the Daily News on this. It's just a fabricated lie. We do not use corporal punishment as a common, and they make it sound as if it's the norm within our school system. It's actually not true. It's not true. I have four kids in the school system right now, two in the girls' school system, two in the boys' school system. I asked them, did, ever, did, did everyone any hit? Did you see already hit the hit zone? They didn't even know what I'm talking about. Most of our yeshivas today in Baratar have cameras in their classroom. I don't know if you know that. Okay. There's cameras in their Good. classrooms. We just don't. A rebbe, a teacher, is not allowed to. hits a kid, is immediately, it's immediately dealt with. By the way, in the public school system, if you if you hit a kid or a lot worse, as you just pointed out, just in the last couple of months, we had here in Brooklyn a, a teacher that, that raped the kid and, and, and even worse than that as well. And guess what happens with such a teacher? They put you in the rubber room. What, what, it's called the rubber room for those that are not familiar. They can't immediately uh, fire I'm talking you. about, so I was, I was not talking about how the lack of punishment and uh, what's going, the, 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 a lot of the teachers are terrified of the kids. I mean, they are so dangerous and they can't. But let me go to the heart of the argument. Let's, let's go to the heart yeah. of the argument. I think the heart of the argument is, is that when kids come out of high school and mm -hmm. they can't read, and they can't write, and they can't do arithmetic, right? And let me give you some of the some of the reports. 89.8% um, of new square is low income or moderate income. The the poorest uh, state, is the poorest township in the in the country is is uh, new square. Curious Yale is the third poorest, according to a, an, an article of two or three years ago, right? So there yeah, is, but, but and, and numbers, let me just let me, yeah. let me just finish the argument, then you could respond to your mm -hmm. thing, right? I personally um, sit on the board of of Toro, right? And and I know what comes in over there. They don't speak English. You got to teach them English so that they can start, which they do. And once they do, they do great. And and I'll tell you a story that happened to me. Um, I was once in Strilovich's hotel in in New Hampshire. It was Vermont, I remember someplace up there. And I was I was there for Shabbos with my family. And the guy, you know, I started talking. He said he's a CFO of a company. And I said, Wow, that's great. How'd you do it? He says, I'll tell you. For years, I used to get up. I don't know, like five in the morning and daven and go to get on the bus to go to, to B and H photo. He says we were making you know fourteen dollars. And I said I had five kids who were starving. And somebody told me, Why don't you get an education? And he said. I went to Mahona Parnassa. I don't know. I don't remember which school. I think he said, well, he said, and I, I got an accounting degree. He said, you see my, all my kids, how beautifully they're dressed. That's, that's true. I remember the pride I felt. And I said, is this common? He said, yeah, they have no tools. They have no tools. And when we look at the poverty level, and if you look at Williamsburg and you open up the census track and you see, uh, uh, you know, poverty track, it's, the rate is the lowest. It doesn't get redder in the poverty track. So, the, so I, w I would just ask you the question like this. Yeah. 
You know, for, for a thousand years, for two thousand years, St. Augustine had the, the Jewish witness doctrine by Christianity that the goal is to keep the Jews subjugated. So if you go to Poland and Hungary, they had laws. A Jew couldn't go to school to, a, to become a doctor. He couldn't become a lawyer. with exceptions, like 2% they allowed in. They weren't allowed to own land. They weren't allowed to be farmers in an agrarian society. There was 58 fields we couldn't get into. The only thing we could do was money lenders because they knew they didn't have to pay us back. It was the best thing you could make a Jew is the money lender, right? So just reverse it. Imagine if the country came out here with an exact opposite, a, a rule that Jews cannot cannot learn English, they cannot learn math, they cannot learn uh, 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 reading, writing, arithmetic. We'd be going to the Kaisel, we'd be being Mishadlanis and this and that. They're saying, teach your kids how to reading, writing, arithmetic so that they can earn a living after they graduate. It sounds to me like okay. that's the Lamda Yumnus that the Gemara talks about in Kedushin. That's what we should be asking for, not they should be asking I tried, for. I tried really okay. hard. Not, not Good. Go ahead. Now it's yours. Really, yeah. Go ahead. Go, go. Okay, okay. okay, a couple of things. First of all, it is not true that they don't teach English. When this, when this uh, uh, campaign by uh, a handful of disgruntled individuals started in 2014, uh, what were they saying? Hasidim, don't uh, the Hasidish yeshivas don't learn any English. They come out, they graduate, they can't even spell or sign their name in English. Now, even the New York Times says that they only do English four days a week, 90 days. Uh, the worst actors are 90 days, but they admit that there are those that do more than that, two hours or two and a half hours, and they only focus on two out of the four subjects, uh, English and math. So and that's what even, even by the New York Times account. So the, the goalpost has really moved. So this concept of they don't teach any English is just not true. Again, I have kids in the system. I myself went through the system. But Babav is different. Babav is the most... Every school system... Every school system is a spectrum. Yeshiva... Yeshivas is a system. The 440 yeshivas in the state of New York. Not every school network, by the way, they all operate independently. Not every school network is the same, right? It's a spectrum, and parents have the right to choose their child to whichever yeshiva they choose. There are those that want a yeshiva that focuses more on, on one subject. There's those that want a yeshiva that, 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 you know, for those that want their children to grow up to be rabbin. But it's a constitutional right. I, as a parent, have the constitutional right to, child, to choose the path of my child's education. But to say that the, to say that the, the, the basics are not there is just not true. Now, you, you focus on, 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 the, on, the, on the census numbers. You know, when you say that, for example, Kiryasiyo is, 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 is uh, I use that as an example of the highest poverty rate, you're also forgetting that when it comes to Kiryasiyo, for example, they have the highest number of young adults. People naturally are not as advanced in their careers when they're 25 than when they're 55. So when you're comparing it to the rest of the world, it's, it's, it's apples and oranges. We get married at a younger age. We have more kids, which, by the way, changes the income numbers as well as, as to when you consider the poverty. If someone has nine kids and they're making, they're making $75,000 a year, they're in poverty. Right? Someone in the outside world who's not even married yet or married with one kid making $75,000 a year is above median income. 
It's true, so, so Rav Sem, Rav Semcha, Rav Semcha, but wouldn't it make sense then if no, the need, if, the, if the needs are greater, they should need more education, not less education? The point that I'm making is you're buying into the talking points of the times. The mere Rav Simcha, Rav Simcha, you go to Williamsburg, is, speak English to your average I, guy I, on the street. I, I, I want to get to your Take a test. Answer, but I just wanted to, I just wanted, it's a, no, it's not true. I believe most of them speak and have a sound basic English education. What I'm saying is that to say that, that we, our children don't receive a sound basic English education is just not true. But the other thing that I want to get at, and this is, this is really the, the, one of the, the, the main arguments that we haven't really touched on. So, there's no dispute, as we established before, our children are receiving an education. The question is, what type of what type of education they're receiving, right? Our, our school, our yeshiva's uh, day starts early, in some cases as early as 7.30 or 7 o'clock, right? Uh, they go till 5.30, 6, 6.30. Public school system starts at 9, till they start over there, 9.10, 9.15. They're already dismissed uh, at 3 o'clock. By the way, included in that, you have lunch, you have activities, you have sports, you have how much of the day is actual studies, right? But, but um one of the largest, uh, one of the biggest problems we have over here is government has taken the position that your Kodesh portion of the day, your Kodesh portion of the day, we can't look at and that counts for zero. So, and, and that, if government would only acknowledge the value, you know, you spoke about people that graduate in the system, you know, you also have to highlight the fact that that the graduates of the yeshiva system that end up going to law school excel in law school. The Talmud is rigorous thinking. It's, 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 the, the skill is there. And the fact that government is not willing to, to acknowledge that, we cover many of these subjects throughout the Kodesh, the religious portion of the day. You know, and, and, but Simcha, like, Simcha, but I didn't go to college, I I didn't go to college right? Okay, but I want to tell you something. Hold on, yeah. I want to tell you something. I'll look yeah. at this. I have a four-year-old daughter, right? Obviously, different level. The older kids, uh, they, they learn Shulchan Aruch. That's, granted, it's not, it's, not, it's not based on the law of the land, but Talmud, is, it is Talmudic law. And the educational skill is this. My, four, my four-year-old daughter last year, she was three years old, right? Let's take Parshas Noah, for example, right? I agree. It was through religious instruction. God instructed Noah to build an ark. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's secular. But let's take a deeper dive on the actual education, right? God instructed Noah to take the animals. We value animals. The importance of after the marble, there should be animals. The kosher animals, non-kosher animals, right? Either a pier or nine of each animal. I, I took my, my family to the aquarium. My daughter was showing me which fish is kosher and which fish isn't. That's what she learned in school. She's only four now, but this happened, this was, this was already last year. She got more, on the level of a three-year-old, right? She got more animal stickers that week than her counterpart in public school got all year. So what's my point? The science is there. True is part of the religious instruction portion of the day. But why can't we acknowledge from an educational standpoint that you should deserve some credit for that. So, so let me respond. So, let me tell me what the New York Times or, or what the government responds, okay? 
they don't want, no government wants children to become wards of the state, that you have to live on, you know, food stamps, welfare, SNAP, Section 8, whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're providing the most wonderful, amazing, quality education that teaches you all about character and dignity and mm -hmm. God, and you know, but they're saying you can't support yourself and therefore you fall on, on my shoulders, they don't want hashlich yahavchel Hashem. They say don't, that, mm -hmm. the, the crux of the argument is don't become words of the state is elegant and is fantastic. The New York Times article is full of anti-Semitism. But we don't. But, 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 it's, but, but it's not true that we do. But you, but you, you can't deny the facts. Look at the, the Pew, go ahead, the, the Pew study, go. The Pew study in 2015 that Haredi Jews are three times, uh, I think 24% as likely as average Americans to earn $150,000 or more. So with 150000 you're not below the poverty level. Again, Curious Jail is the third poorest township in the entire United States. In the entire country, you know $150,000 a year today is way above, way above medium income. I'm, I'm, so I'm asking you, so how do they, in the census tract, in the census tract, it, 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 is, the, it is the third poorest in the United States. Rabdavid, if I may point out, by the way, a New York State Assembly member makes way below 150. I'm just asking you then. So when the Pew poll is not talking about Hasidim when it has these numbers, because when when you have again when you have New Square, the poorest town in the United States, these it's it's not it's we're disagreeing about facts. No, but that's listen. Numbers are are for every study. You know, I used to work in the controller's office. You know, that is how is how you use it. But but that's my point. My point is that's why. The census numbers, it's just not fair to look at the census numbers because it's inaccurate. If we have someone, if, if, if a child that graduated the Yeshiva system is making 150 with eight kids, and he's still at 150, he's, he's, he's not poverty. He's not going to be in the poverty line at 150. He's Nobody, just not. He's got, so if he's making 120, okay, 120 with nine kids, he, he still not going to. But if his counterpart is making 120 with no kids, so so uh, do you now believe that? Sir, Simcha, your argument is is that. Even notwithstanding the fact that their reading, writing, and arithmetic is deficient, and ninety nine percent and ninety nine percent failed the test, right? According that's to a proficiency please, test. Please, so, please, please, but sure, it's, the facts are wrong, and they're really doing well. I have, to, I, have to, I have to jump in. The New York Times cherry picks one one type of assessment test at one particular school. Okay, for every for every test that were failed. There are other tests that we excel in. If you take the region scores, for example, okay, because okay, the schools that give the region test scores, we we average eighty three percent at Hasidish schools. I'm not, so, I'm not so, really so, so, so it's a disagreement in fact. You're saying the Hasidim in Williamsburg and New Square and Monroe are really doing very well. Their reading, writing, arithmetic is really good. They're making a lot of money, and the poverty what? is because they just have too many kids, and because the New York Times looked at the what? wrong statistics. What I'm saying, what I'm saying. I have a different. I have a yeah. I have a totally different analogy of this, which is not anti-Semitic. But I. But you. You're, these are your facts. You're saying. No, no. What I'm saying is, this this campaign has nothing to do with education. This campaign. No, no. It's it's about education. it's about poverty. It's, the, I it's about being a ward of the state. They did another editorial yesterday. They just don't want words of the state. That's basically it. That's, I, that's, let me ask you. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do these same people support government sending resources to these schools to help them enhance their curriculum? 
Well, they can't. If there's a separation. All of a sudden, they believe in separation of church and state, right? Yeah, but, but every time we're advocating, even for basic, for security funding, forget about actual. But studies. you know, but they forget wouldn't go. But they wouldn't teach them more reading, writing, arithmetic, no matter how much they gave them. By the way, that's not true. See, she was today. Uh, so can I give you? Can I give you a different a different argument? Yeah. I have a totally yeah. different view of this. Okay, um, and and I I've dealt with many Hasidim, and the, mm -hmm. the many of them, many of them, much more than the, the, the average United States, live a life of poverty. They live really poor. They live very. Yeah, you hear about this Hasidish millionaire. That's and Bubba is different, by the way. Bubba is a, a like, quote unquote a more modern Hasidist. More, but you go to Satma and Vishnitz and Satma particularly, great poverty. And great sacrifice. And if you ask the Satma Rebbe, why don't you teach your boys reading, writing, arithmetic? He wouldn't say, I do. You know what he would say? He would say, because if you teach them reading, writing, arithmetic, the next thing they're going to have an iPhone. The next thing they're going to be on the Internet. 30% of Internet usage is porn. He's going to say they go open. One in three uh, kids from modern Orthodox backgrounds supposedly leave the derech. He said, none of my children are leaving the derech. I want my chassidim to live lives of poverty and lives of sacrifice and remain mm -hmm. erlachayidim. And I don't want them to know English. I don't want them to know reading. I don't want them to be writing. I want them to be muvdal from what has America become today with its shittas about LBGTQ and transsexual and open marriages, which the New York Times opines in favor. Up. All this schmutz I don't want, and if they're speaking Yiddish and they live lives of dachkus, they're going to remain erlachid. And I believe that's what he would say if you had an honest conversation I, with him. I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, the, the Samar has told me that uh, his his uncle, uh, uh, the Vialmasha, the, uh, wanted the, the schools to teach uh, uh, two hours of English. Uh, the Rebbe was very, uh, I, I don't know if you ever read, uh, what's his name, uh, Rebbe Hertz, uh, uh, I'm forgetting his last name, his, uh, the book, uh, he was uh, one of the Rebbe's guys, but he was in charge of the girls' school, and uh, the Rebbe wanted uh, uh, the, them to learn English for two, for two hours a day. I, I, don't think, I don't think he would say, I want my people to live in poverty. I think he would say that my people are receiving a, 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 okay. a rigorous okay. education. Included in that is the basic on the four courses subjects, uh, but I don't... I, I, uh, you disagree. No. And I'll tell you who agreed yeah. with him, by the way, who agrees with me. When Napoleon mm -hmm. invaded Russia and the West, mm -hmm. right, a mm -hmm. lot of Rebbes were cheering because the Russian government was known for its anti-Semitism, and he was bringing mm -hmm. freedom and enlightenment, and the Balatanya and among other really big mm -hmm. Rebbes, Davin says downfall, they said, why? Enlightenment will be the end of, of Yiddishkeit in Russia. So this is an old argument, and I, I believe that the, 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 the Chassidim are taking the argument, and many of them do live in poverty and in sacrifice and in real Masiris Nefesh, and, mm -hmm. and they are really like they came out of a shtetl a hundred years ago. And you well, know what? Well, they yeah, said, yeah, this Masiris Nefesh is something that we, we, we aspire to. You take every community, you take every neighborhood, there are those that are doing well, there are those that unfortunately live in poverty, and there are those that are somewhere in between. And by the way, same is true in the classroom. A classroom of 30 kids, the five will excel. Unfortunately, five won't do that well. And then uh, somewhere to 20 are somewhere in between. It's, it's easy to pick on the select, you know, uh, cherry pick these numbers, but it's just, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's accurate. And on the flip side, you see that you want to, again, 
prefer the more what education is. You want people to ultimately productive members of society. To say that Hasidim is not, are not productive members of society is just not true. We have more nonprofit organizations here than anywhere else. We have the amount of chesed we have. A crime rate is literally at, 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 as close to zero as can be. So, again, you, you got to look at all this as a, as a whole. You could try to jump on one particular assessment, the test, and say, aha, Look at that. They're, they're, you know, they're failing in that test. But you also have to compare apples to apples. By the way, we are, our kids are bilingual, ki- uh, bilingual kids, what we call ELL kids, uh, English, English language learners, right? If you compare them to, for example, we're talking about substantial equivalency, right? I represent in the assembly uh, school district 20, uh, for the most part. They're ELL kids. Our proficiency rates are in single digits. It's criminal neglect. I'm not saying that because someone else isn't good, that means that's my excuse. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to look at it as a, as a whole um, and compare apples to apples. So I, I don't think that the, I, I disagree with the premise that um, that our our census poverty numbers uh, reflect the full picture. Rav Simcha, thank you very much. One thing I agree with you 100%. You're certainly a, a, a wonderful, avid, lovely Hashem. Your heart to, to, to do well by the communities. No Shiloh. And joining us from New York is Avi Shek. He's former Deputy Attorney General of New York. He's a partner at Troutman Pepper. He's an advocate for the Frum community, frequently represents some of the major Jewish organizations in New York. Welcome, Avi. Thank you, David, for having me. So, Avi, tell us, the New York Times article, give us, you know, what's your response to it? As, as an advocate for the Jewish community, what's your response? Uh, I think my first observation is someone who, you know, has been in and around government for a long time and uh, sees how, you know, civic things play out. It, it, it was it was advocacy. It, it wasn't, you know, for the most part, journalism. And, and that's disturbing. And, and what I mean by that is right, they took a, a narrative that they had and they sort of just ran hard with it um, and didn't provide really, I think, a true and accurate picture. Um, we can get into the details if you want, but... but you know, it, it, get into it, the de- let's let's get into the details. Sure. Um, you know, it, it painted a picture of the Chassidish community, which, of course, I, I think the average um, person in New York doesn't really know, you know, where to draw the line between someone who's Chassidish, someone who's Yeshivish. Um, but beyond that, it painted a portion of the Chassidish community, which, you know, is not quite as monolithic as uh, as it's made out to be. And it, it drew those conclusions, you know, from what it said was uh, the performance of uh, a dozen schools on state assessment tests. Now, whatever you think about those schools and whatever you think about the education they offer, it uh, it can't be that you get to uh, to look at a system of hundreds of schools, pick the 12 worst performing ones, and then use that to paint a picture of uh, of, of the much larger community. Avi, let me go to the heart of what I saw outside the, like what you say, the painting with a brush, monolithic, a lot of anti-Semitism in this. Um, let, me, let me talk to you, though, to, to me what the key point, and I think there was an editorial today where they basically, this is their key point. If you look at the absolute poorest 
cities in the United States. And the top five are Monroe and uh, and Curious Yale and Square Town. If you go to Williamsburg and you pull up the census map, which is easy to do on Google, and you look at poverty rates, the entire Williamsburg is smack, like boiling red poverty. If you go to Medicaid use, the, the, the highest amount, I mean, look, at, we're talking about Maimonides now. It's all Medicaid. They have no private, right? So the New York Times is allowed, you know, um, is not allowed. It's anti-Semitic look. It's clearly a long history of anti I think B.B. Netanyahu famously said that the, the survival of Israel, its biggest uh, enemies are the Palestinians and the New York Times. So you have no argument on that. But we can't, we, we don't have our own set of facts about poverty. And I would challenge anybody to go to Williamsburg to give, you know, take a, a paragraph, say, could you fill in the missing words, spell with a few math? 80% of them would fail, certainly among the men. So that's the, the, the heart of their argument, that we don't want children being wards of the state. So strip out, pass, so pass the anti-Semitism. How do we deal with that? Well, well listen, I, I think, you know, one way to deal with it is to be honest and upfront, right? And, uh, you know, the New York Times, again, you know, talked about, you know, drawing conclusions that corporal punishment is common, uh, you know, making really an but unbelievable that's side, deal these about are the sidebar, These are sidebars. Well, 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 the gravamen well, of the argument, the gravamen of the yeah. argument is about don't become wards of the state. Well, well uh, listen, they're certainly not wards of the state, but, but, but listen, you know, if the Times wanted to write an article and say, listen, we asked the State Education Department for data, they sent us over the data, we picked it for over schools, that's great, right? What they did was put together, you know, uh, a front page and then four inside page investigative report. And, and, and surely one way not to get the cooperation of those who, who distrust government and distrust authority, you know, is, is, is to attack them like that. So, so surely if, if they cared about kids, it, it was counterproductive. Of course, there was also another context, right? We don't live in isolation in New York. Um, it's a state test. The state test is primarily given not to yeshiva students, not to students in 12 yeshivas, but, you know, in the public schools. And it, it would be good, you know, for those who care so deeply about children and their performance to, to, to demonstrate that empathy, not only when it comes to future kids whose parents send them to private school, but also, you know, to the larger group of students who are failing who are in the public schools. But, but beyond that, beyond that, David, you know, if, if people, you know, want to, you know, get to improvement in, in, you know, whether you brought up Monroe, you brought up Square, I think it's a little harder to disaggregate data in Williamsburg because there are no monolithic buildings. There's no census tract that's, you know, versus other minorities. It's just, it's just not accurate. But, but focus on, on Monroe as you did and, 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 and Square, which is, you know, more, you know, singularly or densely populated because even the way to, to get to change, if you care about change, if you care about improvement, is not, you know, to come, you know, as a law enforcement operation and beat them over the head, right? It's to engage with them um, in ways that, you know, would be productive toward, toward enhancement. And that's exactly what government does with other communities, where there's time, there's effort, there's, you know, there's resources. And, of course, you know, the time simultaneously, or simultaneously while it says we need to do for these kids, you know, it, it does it all by threat and by punishment. You know, it makes a big deal of so, the relatively... So Avi, so, Avi, what you're saying is, if I'm reading you right, is you're saying, I agree with the facts that we... We should be teaching. The schools should do a better job of teaching reading, writing, arithmetic. I don't agree with the disrespectful, um, anti-Semitic way that you try to bludgeon this in. But I do agree with the with the results. Is that sort of the argument? Well, well that, I, I think I, I don't read the Times article the way you do. So uh, you know, there was very little there about about reading and writing. We'll get to the State Education Department regulations in a minute, but. You know, there's two separate points. You know, do the worst performing schools in, in the yeshiva sector perform badly? 
Of course, the worst performing schools in every sector perform badly. That's why they're the worst performing schools. Is there essentially a consensus within the film community? Is there a consensus in the film community that, you know, um, those worst performing schools can do a better job teaching, you know, the basics, as you said, you know, English and math? I think there is such a consensus. But that wasn't the point of the Times article, because if it was, um, it would have been a much different article with a much different thrust and uh, and much different set of follow-ups, which, again, are all about, you know, punishment and penalty. Um, in fact, and this needs to be said, you know, my read of the Times article is that they're trying to make, you know, some like this community, again, I don't think the line is drawn so so carefully, they're trying to make that community, us, the untouchables of American society. They're trying to say, don't deal with them. If you get their votes, that's something wrong, right? When they participate in, in, in democracy by voting, that's bad. When they meet with you to talk about their issues, that's bad. When you advocate for them, you're bad, right? That's why, you, you know, the only other group that gets that treatment is the mafia, right? So, no one, no one is allowed to take the votes for the mafia or meet for the mafia, and that's what the Times is trying to do here. They're not trying to bring okay. them into society by improving their English and math. They're trying to drive them out of society. But, but Avi, Avi them- I, I, I agree with everything you're saying, and I would even add, I would add on to it. I would say that the New York Times is the, you know, the, the, the poster child for liberalism in the United States. Right. I mean, they, the woke movements, AOC, all, all these were brought by the New York Times. They, they're, you know, LBGTQ is there. When they wake up in the morning, it's the most important. They see the whole world through that prism. Like what Putin is doing, bad for the world, but even it's even worse for the LBGT community, right? They're pro, you know, this, this whole trans movement, a terrible damage to the people involved too. Bringing young children in, making them aware, trying to convince them, terrible damage. But they have tolerance for every type of. Uh, um, live your life, be who you are. Um, You want to have an open marriage, go for it. Like, be who you are, no constraints, but we won't let the Hasidim be what they do best, which is Hasidim. Like, why do you applaud everybody's individuality except for Hasidim's individuality? The liberals should be saying, you have your unique character, a culture that goes back hundreds of years, maybe thousands, embrace your culture, be a Mormon, be, a, be whoever you are. But that, to me, that is the, you know, the, it, it goes against the entire uh, Welteinschung, right? Of, of, uh, I, I, so I totally agree with you on that. But I, I, I also think that there is a message here that has to be addressed. And I've spoken to you about it in the past. The Gemara says, And if there were a Xerah were to come out, just imagine the opposite, where the government came out and they said, kids are not allowed to read, learn how to read. They're not allowed to learn how to read. We want to keep them in the lowest poverty status in the United States. People would be going, they'd be calling you, you'd be suing. Now we have the government saying the opposite. Could you please educate your children so that when they read high school, they can fill out a job application? They could do math so that they could, they could take a job, they could read, they could write, they could write a business letter. And the Fruma community is sort of bundled that in together with the New York Times, the animus towards the New York Times. Shouldn't we unbundle that and examine whether that's a good point that should be taken out of this? So again, a couple of points there, right? First of all, I think, as as, as I'm sure you know well, because you're familiar with the community, um, right? You know, Borough Park, Hasidim, Hasidim in Borough Park, just by virtue of of demographic patterns and and where and whom they live among, are are probably different in that regard than social groups in Williamsburg. Agree, absolutely agree. 
And the next two groups in Williamsburg are, are different in that regard than the groups in Muncie. And the groups in Muncie even are different in that regard than those north it's of Muncie. It's true, but this is and, a Pilisha. You know, the difference between the Pilisha and Lipsisha, a Lipsisha answers the essence of the Shaila, and the Pilisha gives a Kimtis. Maybe there's a Shita of the Rajbaj. I don't have any blood. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. We all recognize, anybody who grows up and recognizes it, there's a, you go to Shul by Shainas, right? there's a line, one after you can't have in. And it's almost all uh, Hasidah. They, they, they're not given the... Maybe that's our difference, David. They're not given the tools. They're not given the tools. You're a monkey boy. Okay, they're not given the tools. I grew up in Brooklyn, though. They're not given the tools. Could you imagine, Avi, if you graduated high school and you couldn't read, write, or do arithmetic? Could you imagine what your career would look like today? So, Mark, again, I think there's a consensus, right? There's a consensus that... that, that Schools should should provide the, the core skills of, of English, math, and the like. I think I think that's true. I think listen the, the the flip side and just just to understand where where other groups are coming from, right? Is they do view themselves under attack, and they view they view their most important mission to make sure that 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 people you know, leave school and to socialize that way. That's the primary purpose of school, and 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 most Jewish schools fail at that. Right. And unfortunately, in, in not, not Muslim schools, but, but, you know, most of the Jewish communities fails at that. Have they overcorrected, you know, in, in that regard, given where we are today? It, it's, it's entirely possible. But again, if, if, if one cares truly about educational improvement, there are ways to go about it. And, uh, and I'm not sure that, that it's being approached the right way. And again, I think, you know, the problem exists you know, to the extent uh, we're talking about it exists, you know, far differently and in far diminished way in New York City than it does outside of New York City. That's not to point fingers or anything. It's just, listen, I think by, by, by the nature, if you said, you know, you know, how surprising is it that, that, that people who, who, who tried to live truly isolated, li- isolated lives, right, among themselves only, you know, in a remote hamlet, um, you know, uh, go about things this way, it's, it's not quite as surprising. And that, again, was one of the journalistic sins of the times where it truly knew which 12 schools it was talking about. It never disclosed them. It, it, it you know, it, it conflated, you know, the performance of 12 schools and the impact on, you know, many tens of thousands of kids, which obviously is not 12 schools. And so, you know, one wonders what the true, you know, picture is in that regard. I mean, I've, I've certainly been to a lot, a lot of yeshivas, um, yeshivas in Brooklyn over the past half dozen years. And uh, certainly the picture one gets is not, is not that. And of course, the Times didn't visit any yeshivas, um, but... You know, I think they, you know, felt comfortable, you know, drawing the conclusions without that. But, but, but surely, I think again, there's a, a pretty broad consensus. I don't think anything in the in, in the from communities unanimous. So one can never speak of, you know, unanimity. But one can speak of a consensus. And I, I think there's a there's a pretty broad consensus about, you know, a. Um, a shared desire um, to uh, to fulfill, you know, an obligation to uh, to, to make the kids. You know, uh, you know, fluent in, uh, in in some of the core and basic re- educational requirements. So, Avi, now let me turn it the other way. I want to take the other side of this argument, okay? And I'll preface it: the in in the um, in the 1800s, early 1800s, when Napoleon invaded Russia, there was a machlekis between the Balatanya and the Kozhnitsa Magid and various others on the Polish side whether to daven for Napoleon's success or not. And the Balatanya, notwithstanding the fact that the Jews lived under terrible conditions under the Tsar's Imam, right, was was very opposed to um, the success of Napoleon. He said, "With enlightenment and freedom, the walls of 
ghetto crumble, and we will start losing our people, which is what Haskalah did to the to the to the Lutfisha world, right? And he was he said better to live in poverty as a, as an Evet Hashem than in uh, prosperity uh, and and risk losing it. You live in New York. You see what's going on in the world. You know what's going on on the internet. If I was a Rebbe and I said to you, Avi, I thank you very much. I want my Hasidim to live in poverty. I want them to live in ignorance of English. I don't want them knowing what's going on on the internet. I don't want them to have iPhones. I want them to live in the world in a sealed bubble, right, that represents Tyra the Yira. How would you respond to that? I think every every Admiral surely has has his uh, um, um, has his own hadracha. I, I think I would um, not question what goals he has for his kehillah. That would not be my job. I might counsel him on how that would play out. Um, and uh, you know, there there might be ways to to you know protect one's ability to do that, and that would be to withdraw further from society. Right? There's there's sort of a duality here. Right? If right to see them are not entirely withdrawn from society, right? They, you know, they're out there, they engage to some degree, they're, whether it's in business or other ways, right? They um, vote, they petition the government, they might partake of, of, of government, you know, uh, safety net programs. And I think the more one, um, in, the more one's community is entangled day to day with larger society, the harder it is to withdraw entirely from that society or to be immune from its pressures, whether it's its pressures on individuals as they see the outside world, it's because they're running a business or going to work, or it's pressures because, you know, the outside world wants to impose some of its uh, values on the community writ large. Rabbi Avi, I want to wish you a and thank you for being an advocate for, for Klal Yisrael, for the Jewish communities with such a pure intense. Thank you very much for your time. Kaltov. Kaltov, bye-bye.